Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Jesus Christ made it very clear that a person needed to be born again to have a relationship with God. We all had a physical birth or else we wouldn't be here, but we need a spiritual birth to enter into the spiritual realm of heaven where God is. The most famous conversation in the Bible about the new birth is the talk that Jesus had with the teacher of the Jews, Nicodemus. Jesus said, you must be born again. There is no wiggle room in that statement, my friend. You must be born again. In today's message, evangelist Brody Thibodeau looks at three basic and vital elements in any true conversion story. That is, for a person who's been born again. He talks about the change that is evident in that person's life. He discusses the instantaneous nature of the new birth. And lastly, he makes the vital point that Christ must be central in that story of conversion. The person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ is first and foremost in the born-again experience. Let's listen as Mr. Thibodeau explains. John chapter 3 and verse number 7 says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Very simply, the Lord Jesus is saying, The wind blows wherever it will, and you hear the sound, but you can't see it. Verse number nine, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? Now we're going to go to verse number 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, is the Lord Jesus drawing the attention of this man Nicodemus to a passage from the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers chapter 21, there's the account of this event. He's drawing his mind, his attention back to that event in the Old Testament because he's going to draw a parallel. That is, he is saying, just like that event where Moses lifted up the serpent, just like that, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus, is going to be lifted up. Of course, when he says the Son of Man must be lifted up, he's pointing forward now to the cross. We look backward to the cross, but in the conversation that the Lord Jesus was having, he was pointing forward to the cross. And he was saying, just like Moses lifted up the serpent, the Son of Man will be lifted up. What happens to a person when they are born again is they receive something. According to the book of Ephesians, they receive every spiritual blessing the moment they trust Christ. They receive, in fact, the sealing by the Spirit of God. They are indwelt by the Spirit of God. They are born from above. 
They're ready for heaven. They receive the forgiveness of sins, but it is summarized in this little phrase, eternal life. In the very next verse, it's called everlasting life. In the original, it's the same word, and it carries with it the idea of that life which is from God. In fact, the life of God. You will notice that the person who believes becomes the immediate possessor of said eternal life. That is, a person who is going to heaven does not receive eternal life after they die. They receive it the moment they are born again. And that eternal life is not only a life that lasts forever, but it is a life that is full life, abundant life, unchanging for all the ages of the ages of eternity. That is the eternal life that God is offering to you. And as we are breaking now into verse number seven again, I wanted to echo in our minds, in our hearts, and in our conscience. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must, ye must be born again. And then the Lord Jesus says these words, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, and canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone, or so is he, that is born of the Spirit. He is now going to make a statement that will help us understand the first point I want to make about a true conversion. The Lord is saying the wind blows and you can't see it. But you can tell that it is having an effect on the objects it touches, right? Now, I know if you were ever in Atlantic Canada, you will know that the wind blows a lot here. And I'm sure it does there too, wherever you are. The wind blows a lot here. And I have yet to see the wind. Can't see air. But when I look out my window and I look toward the west, when the wind is blowing, if it's the summer, spring, or fall, I can see the water begin to get rough. And I can see those what we call white caps on top of the water, the waves. And I know I can't see the wind. Sometimes at night when it's blowing really hard at our place, you feel the house shake a little bit. And the wind gets harder, you can feel it shake a little bit more, and you can't see the wind. But you know it's having an effect on things. And just like that, a person who is born again, you cannot see the change that has taken place. You cannot see the transaction that has taken place. But you can see the effect it has had on the person who is born of the Spirit. You see, when it comes to true conversion, we must insist, based upon the Bible, that a true conversion will bring about a change in the person who is converted. It's impossible to have a true conversion without a change. I hope we understand that. Not only do I hope we understand that, I hope that that is reinforced in your mind as a scriptural truth. The Bible says, the Lord Jesus says, that when a person hears his word and believes on him that sent him, they have everlasting life. And they shall not come into condemnation, but they are passed from death unto life. And the moment a person is born again, there's a transaction that takes place that actually removes them from spiritual death and places them in spiritual life. That's a significant change. That change will have an effect on the person. It will have an effect on their behavior. It will have an effect on their conscience. It will have an effect 
on what they determine as right or wrong and whether sin bothers them or not. You see, that really is the primary effect that I think is healthy in the life of a new believer. But that sin that never used to bother you, you sin without any thought, does it bother you now? What is your attitude towards sin? You see, a real conversion is marked by a real change, not perfection, not sinlessness, but a difference. When we mention morality and immorality, people become offended, as if it's none of our business and we have no right to say it. But the Bible is clear. When it comes to issues of morality, a true conversion experience will make a change in the life of that person. The passage that he is referring to has the children of Israel, which is really the nation of Israel, descendants of a man named Jacob, who was later named Israel. They are walking through the wilderness. There are millions of them. Their cattle, all of their equipment, their tents, and a tabernacle, which is the central gathering place of these people that God had designed And they had built according to the design of God, and God's presence was in their midst. As they were journeying, on this particular occasion, they were going along around the long way, and they began to murmur and complain. The murmuring and the complaining, obviously, was a sin against God. This sin was going to be punished in this way. God sent poisonous snakes. Our version of the Bible says, fiery serpents. They bit the people, and many people, or much people of Israel, die. Now, it's important for us to understand how a venomous snake kills its victim. A bear, of course, would tear its victim apart. An alligator would try and drown its prey before it eats it. A constrictor would crush. But a venomous snake accomplishes the same end by inserting venom into the bloodstream of its victim. Now, once the venom is inside the victim, the problem is no longer the presence of the snake. The problem is on the inside. And it's essential for us to understand that parallel when it comes to sin, because the snakes are like our activity. The people are going to come to Moses and they're going to say, Moses, pray to God that he will take away the snakes. But you and I know that if he takes away the snakes, the people who are bitten are still going to die. Why? Because the problem's on the inside. And you can take away every single snake and take it far away and kill them, get rid of them so that they never come back again. And yet the problem on the inside still rages until the death of that person is accomplished. So many times we view sin as being an exterior issue, right? something connected to our behavior. And really, when the Bible talks about our sins, it is speaking about our behavior. But when it comes to our relationship with God, our sins are very, very, very significant. Our sins, in fact, according to the Bible, are that which keep us separated from God. But our sins, the activities that we engage in, are really a result of a problem that goes much deeper than the exterior. Our sins are a result of a problem that's on the inside. And you can quit sinning. That is, you can quit your smoking and you can quit your drugs and you can quit your drunkenness and you can quit your adultery and you can quit swearing and you can quit and you quit 
lying and quit stealing and quit, 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 quit. But it never actually deals with the problem on the inside. You need more than just quitting. You need cleansing. But these people come to Moses and they say, Moses, pray to God that he will take away the snakes. And Moses prays to God and God says, wait, I'm going to do something much better than just take away the snakes. I'm going to give you a way to deal with the problem on the inside. Wouldn't that be better news to a person who is bitten? God has a way of dealing with the interior problem. God has a way of dealing with the internal problem. And Moses was to take a serpent made of brass, put it on a pole, and announce a message from God. God has given a way to deal with the problem. God's way is this serpent on a pole. And whoever looks at the serpent of brass, even though you're bitten, you will live. And I think that would be the best news that any person who is bitten could ever hear. I am one who believes that Moses would have taken that serpent of brass and taken it on a missionary journey throughout the camp so that every person would have an opportunity to look and live. According to the Bible, whoever looked, they lived. Now follow this. You're a person who's been bitten. Now your responsibility is to look. And when you hear the message, you know there's only one thing to do. You take your eyes off whatever it is you're currently looking at, and you look to the serpent of brass. And according to the Bible, the moment you look, you live. That's the second principle of a true conversion. I would like you to understand. It takes place in a moment of time. Now, I'm not trying to upset you. I'm trying to be faithful with you. But let's say this. You didn't know how to tell time. And there were no clocks around. You didn't know that calendars existed. There were curtains on the windows, so you didn't know if it was nighttime or daytime, whether or not there was snow on the ground or the grass was growing. So you're totally oblivious as to the season, the hour on the clock, or the day on the calendar. All right? I'll grant you that. If you are truly converted, there's still a moment in time that you look back to when it really happened. A real sinner was really lost. They really trusted Christ, and they were really born again, really, in a moment of time. But there's something else we're going to notice. Some of these people were in their tents, no doubt about that. Some of them were walking, perhaps out walking, looking for a place to die. Some of them were really sick, and others were not nearly experiencing the same symptom. They were all bitten. They all had the venom in the inside. Some of them may have been talking with one of their friends. Others may have been left alone with nobody around. All of these things, see, are variables in their experience. All of these things are circumstances that may not be consistent across the board. But there is one thing that is consistent in every one of their experiences, and that's this. The focus is the serpent on the pole. The serpent on the pole is the focal point of every experience of these people who were healed from the venom. And now I'm going to draw some parallels for you to the born-again experience. Number one, we've already noticed that a person who is born again is a person who has experienced a change in their life. Number two, we have noticed that a born-again experience, a conversion, takes place in a moment of time. 
But now the Lord Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, in order that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Here's a parallel, the first one I want you to get. Just like the very moment a person looked to the serpent of brass, they lived. According to John chapter 3 and verse 15 and John chapter 3 and verse 16, the very moment a person puts their faith in the Lord Jesus for the first time, they believe on him. At that very moment, they're born again. But now I'm speaking to a group of people with quite different backgrounds. That is, perhaps you knew the gospel very well. Perhaps you've never heard it. Perhaps you have a religious background that is contrary and against Christianity. Perhaps you have no background at all. Perhaps you are a person who you might consider to have gone very, very, very deep in sin. Or maybe you're a person who is just a little child. Perhaps the night that you were born again, you were talking to somebody about the scriptures. Perhaps you were all alone. Perhaps you were thinking about a verse from the Bible. Perhaps you were thinking about a hymn from a hymn book. Perhaps you weren't thinking about any of those things at all. But I will tell you one thing that is in every true born-again believer conversion, as that is this. Christ is always the focus. Christ is always there. You see, I have had people tell me about how they were saved at their work. One man working in a sawmill. And he wasn't saved through a Bible verse. He was saved through the verse of a little children's hymn when it came like this, Jesus loved me, he who died. Heaven's gates to open wide. He will wash away my sin. Let his ransomed one come in. Yes, Jesus loves me. And there may not have been a preacher there. and There may not have been a Bible there. But I'll tell you someone who was there in his conversion. Christ was there. I have a friend who was saved when he was six years old. And we know that six-year-olds don't know theology. We say a six-year-old may not know much, but he knew this. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ was in his conversion. I look back 19 years ago to that night when I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, and the light dawned on me. And the light was simple. You may think you would have already known that, I'm sure, as a young man of 23 years old, having heard the gospel. But here's what I knew that night. Christ's death on the cross is enough to make me safe. And God's word in the scriptures is enough to make me sure. And in my conversion, Christ is there. You see, you may have a lot of the periphery. You may have a lot of, can I say, story. But is Christ there? Now, the flip side of that is this. There are people going around who are really born-again believers who are always shaken when people tell their conversion. Why? Because they're thinking, well, mine's not exactly like the preacher, and mine's not exactly like hers, and he was a bad sinner. Look at the change in his life, and I was only a child when I got saved, and I didn't get to experience that, that uh, can I say, pronounced change in my life. And you're constantly trying to justify your own experience by fitting it into others' experience, and you find that it always comes up short. Quit doing that. All you need in a conversion experience is this. Did it happen? And was Christ there? So I'll tell you this. Without Christ, it's nothing. But with Christ, no matter how simple. You know, if Christ is there, you need nothing else. So the three marks 
of a true conversion. Now, there are others, I'm sure, that you could find them if you read it closely. But the first one is a true conversion will make a change in the life of the person who is converted. A true conversion happens in a moment of time when a person places their trust in the Lord Jesus. They believe on him for the first time. And a true conversion will always, despite the variables that can be across the board, a true conversion will always have Christ as the focus. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, eternal life, new life, the life of God. There is nothing of self in receiving this. God has provided salvation as a gift. Christ has died, and all who look to him for salvation, who drink in the wonderful words of life, are born again. Are you born again? Are you? There cannot be any doubt, my friend. Remember Christ's words, you must be born again. Don't rest until you are sure you are. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul.